Hi, everyone. This is Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Brandon Boucher, head of research at AD Instruments, who recently joined us for a webinar to share best practices, technical considerations, and expert advice on how to avoid common data acquisition system and data analysis mistakes in order to produce higher quality data. Let's jump right in. The first question we have today is, are there any resources available to find data acquisition settings that are correct for my animal model? Yeah, there is. There is a few things that I would mention. There's a few references floating around or out there that give you an idea about how the frequency works on different types of signals, what heart rates are for different animals and different things like that. And that can give you a really good indication about how that might work. The other thing that you can do is we actually have a reference on our website. It's somewhat brief, but it does cover off most commonly used signals and animal models. And it's attached to a reference that covers off some of the things we talked about early in this presentation, the basics of data acquisition, and then it transitions into providing some of those references you can use to apply to your data. Okay, perfect. Yeah, as uh, Brandon mentioned, we'll definitely link to that document in the Q&A report after the webinar. And so uh, another question that was asked was, and I know you talked about it briefly in your presentation, but how can you be sure that you're cleaning noise and not valuable information? Yeah, that was hit on just slightly earlier in the presentation, but the best, I mean, the most obvious way you can do that is to use like the Spectrum tool. And and again, if you're not familiar with those those tools, it might be a bit of a challenge, but one thing you can do in addition to that is find a clean piece of data, investigate it with the Spectrum tool, get familiar with what it looks like. The Spectrum tool basically gives you an indication of the component frequencies in your signal. And then look at the noisy one and look at the difference. That can teach you a little bit about what the noise might look like on the Spectrum tool. Ultimately, it, it still might be a challenge for you. And, uh, and that's, that potentially might be how you can transition to something like smoothing instead of filtering. But the best way to do it is to investigate a little bit how filters work on your signal of interest. You can even apply that filter to clean data. Um, and doing so, you can see how that distorts the clean data. I and mean, you can learn a little bit about um, how, you know, what choices you might make there. Okay, great. Thanks, Brandon. Gregory has asked if Wi-Fi can be a source of noise. That's a really good question. Based on what I know about Wi-Fi, my hunch is that it's not likely. And the reason for that is because uh, those high frequency pieces can communicate, you know, they communicate at a relatively high frequency, a high enough frequency that your typical data acquisition system, you know, and, and the sampling rates you're using for physiological signals likely won't capture much of it or any of it. Um, you know, you know, technically it will always capture some, but you know, it will be intermittent and random. So the answer is, you know, it will all provide some level of electromagnetic interference. It's most likely that you won't see it based on your data acquisition system sampling rate. However, there, there probably is a small, uh, small chance you could get some aliasing and that's a topic we didn't really get into. The truth of the matter is, and I guess I'll summarize it this way, the best practice is to see, uh, find out, turn it off <laughs> and see what happens. But that's probably out of a lot of things in your lab, a, I guess, a low priority one. Okay, fantastic. It looks like there's 
quite a few researchers studying EEG, and they were wondering if you can give us any general methods to improve the quality of EEG signals. Yeah, I can come up with a few. So there, in addition to the things we already talked about, so those are, you know, finding the SOSA noise first, turning everything off, removing things from your preparation, you know, using shielding where appropriate. In a case of an ECG, if it's an animal, you might be able to use some Faraday caging. So all of those things are still in play. In addition to that, though, EEG is heavily dependent on the quality of the attachment of the electrodes. So one thing you can do is ensure the electrode connection to the scalp is of high quality and to test that, you can get an electrode checker, and then that'll tech che- that'll actually check the the resistance of the electrode connection. It'll do a really good job of that. Use those shielded cables wherever possible. And this actually is a good can- even though we don't really have anything that works this way. This is actually a good candidate if you have noise issues for you know, acquiring and amplifying the signal at a, at a you know short distance to the preparation. Can do a good job helping here as well. Okay, fantastic. And we have another question from Daria, and they're wondering if exercise or moving like a a human during metabolic or exercise testing, if that would produce noise to ECG or other signals measured simultaneously. It certainly can, especially with with ECG. So ECG prone to movement artifact, and that movement artifact is not necessarily movement of the whole preparation, but typically movement artifact for ECG is going to be coming from movement of the wires. So say the preparation is moving relative to the thing that the wires are attached to and the wires are actually twisting and turning. That can cause some issues and it can cause some issues in, in everything. However, you're going to be better off in those those cases working with equipment that's specifically designed for exercise. So those systems, whether it's a you know, metabolic systems, you know, are not going to have a lot of movement artifact. And the reason is you don't have an electrical connection to the moving thing, the moving person. But the other systems that are, that do are, you know, if they're designed, they're either wireless or they have, you know, some level of uh, what's called strain relief. So just ensuring the cables don't twist and turn. Usually those systems that are designed for exercise do a really good job of not introducing that movement artifact. I guess straightforward answer is yes, that can be a source of artifact. And and the thing you want to do is just, you know, use those things that are designed for exercise and again, go through the troubleshooting to, to see if you can reduce noise. Perfect. Okay. And a question from Steve now about face. He said that he wants to sample multiple parameters during a 20 to 30 minute experiment, but wants to avoid periods where the heart rhythm is transiently abnormal. Is there a way to automate data capture from a file to avoid periods of arrhythmia? Yeah, uh, there's a way to do most things in that way in an automated fashion, like like I was showing earlier with artifact rejection. You know, that arrhythmia, technically, um, it's an abnormal heart rhythm. So uh, depending on what it is, if it can be quantified based on the signal and differentiated from the data of interest using, say, like the arithmetic tool or some other tool, then you can pretty easily, you know, uh, navigate over those pieces of data as long as you can quantify the difference. And that's... uh, that's a general answer without knowing specifically what that piece of information looks like. But but generally, the answer is yes. As long as you can tell the difference by uh, conditioning the signals, then you can navigate through it. Okay, cool. And a question from Fernando. He was wondering if there are there any good tools to synchronize different signals with different sampling rates? Any good tools to synchronize different signals with different sampling rates? 
Let's see, the best way I can answer that question is you have to have a data acquisition system that does a great job at doing that. That's, you know, it's either got to be built into the data acquisition system itself, meaning it has that capability, or you got to build it yourself. And that's, those are the two ways to do it. So we do a pretty good job with this. So both data coming into the power lab itself can be sampled at different frequencies and, and our system does a great job handling that. In addition, we have a lot of digital systems that connect directly to LabChart and we do a good job handling that there. It's, you know, the data integrity piece or the, you know, integrity of how the data is coming in is a hugely important part to what we do in the background and it's sort of unseen, you know, what we what we do there, but we pay a lot of attention to how that works. I'm sure a lot of people, other people do as well. So I guess, you know, that's a tough one to answer, I guess, specifically, but generally, if you've got a data acquisition system that does a great job doing that, then it, it'll work that way out of the box. If you don't, then you have to fix that one yourself. And that's, that's a much harder job. Okay, perfect. Daniel was wondering, what is the best sampling to analyze HRV? Yeah, I assume we mean sampling right here. And that's a good question. So that depends on a few things. It depends on whether you're doing humans or animals and, and the frequency of the signal of interest. But effectively, you know, HRV is somewhat dependent on the sampling rate because those spectrum features or even just the general heart rate features can be, you know, slightly modified by a low sampling rate. If you have, you know, a rounded R wave and that's how you're detecting, you know, the period is on the R waves of the signal, you might want to sample faster. So on humans, when we're talking about, you know, that zero to 50 hertz range for the signal, if you sample at a thousand hertz, that's going to be your sort of 10 times your highest suspected amplitude. And that's that should be just fine. If you are concerned about it, though, these days, sampling at 2,000 or 4,000 isn't really an issue unless you're going to sample, you know, hours and hours of data. It's a, it's a trade-off you're going to have to investigate for yourself. But ultimately, it comes down to look really closely at your signal, try both sampling rates, find out if you get any more resolution or quality from either one of the two. And if you do, then you can go a little bit higher. And if you don't, then you can stick to the, to the lower sampling rate. And that's, that's honestly the best answer is to do both and investigate. Perfect. Thanks, Brandon. And is there a need for another data acquisition device or interface from the amplifier for brain slice electrophysiology? Yeah, there is. So the PowerLab device itself that we have has generic inputs that takes in plus or minus 10 volts. And in almost every case, there's something else in front of the PowerLab to record that. In the case of a brain slice recording, it would be a relatively sophisticated electrophysiology amplifier. And, and we work with Warner and in education, we work with AM systems. And so, you know, we have some amplifiers there that'll work, work really well for that. But yes, so generally, yes, we do need another device in front of data acquisition systems to achieve that. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next time.